Welcome to the Sports Forecasters Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. This podcast has been created not to dwell and over-evaluate what has already happened in the sports world, but to predict and to forecast what has yet to come. From game picks to draft picks, and from trades to free agent signings, we will let you know what happens before it happens. Your hosts, Nick and Nate, will evaluate, study, and understand sports patterns, tendencies, and nuances to better prepare you on what to expect, just like Weatherman, but way more accurate. So if you like to pick games or you simply just want to be in the know before anybody else, you are in the right place. Enjoy the show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Sports Forecasters. Last week started wetting our appetite for it, and now we're full-fledged into it. March Madness has begun. How many brackets are you filling out? How many do you believe is the one? For many, it can be in excess of 25. Others try to keep it within a reasonable range. I'm one that only does one bracket, and that's the one I stick with. More or less so, I just can keep track of the true amount I get correct and wrong. But before I get into that, I just want to recap the conference tournament picks that I had and just go through where I hit, where I missed, where I was close, but fell a bit short. First off, to review how we did it last season. Last season, Nathan and I went head to head and we had five points if you get the conference champion, three points if your team, if the team you picked made it to the semifinal, and one point if your team made it to the quarterfinal. To compare this season to last season, last season I scored 18 points with that challenge. Using the same scoring system, I would have actually ended up with 24 points. Very happy with how that turned out and just the quickly run through where my picks were and where they finished or how far off they were. First, I had Kentucky, who lost in the quarterfinals to Tennessee. Missed on that one. And that was honestly my biggest miss. I knew that game was going to come down to Kentucky and Tennessee. Both teams were the both teams I felt the strongest about going into that one. And I just felt like whoever won between that matchup was going to win it all. Auburn losing to Texas A&M, yes, was shocking. But I had Arkansas beating them next round. So for me, I didn't see Auburn making as deep of a run. Coincidence or luck. I'll probably venture more to luck because everyone has a puncher's chance in a conference tournament because of the familiarity of the teams. So moving on next, let's just run through the rest of the results. Big 10, I had Purdue. They were runner-up. Mac had Kent State, runner-up. ACC, Duke, runner-up. Good news is I did hit on three. I had three champions here. Big 12, I had Kansas winning it. Arizona had me sweating bullets, but they pulled it off. They were able to come back and beat UCLA. I had Arizona winning it. They did so. And then I had Villanova winning the Big East. So. Overall, I would say a pretty good day where the seven conferences I did, only one I didn't have anybody in the final matchup. All in all, improvement and hopefully building momentum into March Madness, which we're going to talk about next. And to talk about March Madness, I need to bring in someone that really divulges himself into knowing the sports and having a good insight on it. And that's my friend, Mark Hurd. Mark Hurd is going to give us his insights and thoughts on what he's seen at the March Madness tournament and trends or things he likes about it. Mark is a big fan of 
Mark follows the Big Ten closely because he is a Michigan fan, so he has lots of ties and he wants to see where his Wolverines stack up with the rest of it. That's where more of his knowledge lies. But without further ado, here's Mark Hurd. First and foremost, welcome on the show, Mark. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me today, Nick. Yeah, this is uh, my favorite time of year, man. Just uh, basketball nonstop starting Thursday. Tonight, obviously, some of the playing games. Uh, we've seen the two 16s already, already have one knocked out tonight. So, yeah, that's what's exciting about this is you always like you got to go with your gut on some things and hope that you you look smart while you make those picks. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's never really any fun just to go chalk anymore. We all like to see those upsets. Um, and when you see teams struggling that normally don't, it's just a uh, it's a weird dynamic to college basketball because you're just so used to it. I mean, Indiana has realistically been down for a couple of decades now. And I mean, I just remember Bobby Knight's teams growing up. I mean, they were never an easy out. They were consistently, you know, an elite eight final four team. And, you know, you kind of miss that now. As much as we love the chaos and everything like that, it really does settle down to the first two rounds. But what we're going to focus on today, folks, is we're going to look at each region one at a time. We're going to go, we're going to go west, east, south, and then Midwest. We're going to look at each one and we're going to give our upset matchup, potential upset matchup, one we like going into it. And then we're going to mark give his final four before he signs off with us here. So we're going, without further ado, we're going to start with the West where Gonzaga has the number one seed and number one overall seed in the bracket. Mark, looking at this bracket, what first round matchup are you really liking coming into this that you could see a potential upset? I love the Davidson Michigan state one with, you know, with the multiple storylines with that uh, Michigan state's just had a, a really chaotic year. There's times where they play really well. And then there's times where they just look lost, you know, defensively. And, and Davidson has a former Michigan state player and foster lawyer who he was recruited up pretty highly for them and just really never found his footing. And he went to Davidson and they're a team that are very gifted offensively and play really hard. So you have to watch for that team. I mean, they could easily make the sweet 16. I know they would have to play a Duke team, but you know, Duke is a team that I think is very top heavy with Paolo Banchero and Wendell Moore. I mean, they rely on those two to do so much of their scoring that if you can neutralize them at all, or if they just have a bad game, which does happen in the tournament, you could be looking at Davidson in a sweet 16. I like the North Carolina Marquette matchup. Again, North Carolina really has a down year. You know, Roy Williams retired. They're kind of trying to find that that footing without him. He was a stalwart for, you know, a decade. So I, I like North Carolina. They've had some games this year. When they played Michigan, they were dynamic offensively, and Michigan really had no answer for them. They're a team that, that can make a nice deep run. Purdue is a team that can make a nice run. I mean, they're – the Big Ten was was a juggernaut, and they they were a quality team. They didn't really have very many bad losses this year. Um, you know, they lost to really the teams you thought they would, the, the Wisconsin's, the Iowa's, the, the Michigan's. So they were pretty consistent all year. Kentucky, I don't see them getting upset. I, I see them making the Sweet 16. The SEC was deep this year. I mean, you're talking a very good Auburn team, a good Kentucky team. You know, there's there's plenty of talent in the SEC. They should be primed for a good run. They're a very talented team. 
but they also are a flawed team because they just have not found that sweet spot for Chet Holmgren. Gonzaga is a team, while they are the number one overall seed, they can be taken to task. Absolutely. And for me, I root during the regular season for Ohio State, but my tournament team I always root for to do well is Gonzaga because growing up, they always felt like that plucky underdog, that team that just everyone kind of counted out because you didn't really hear of them until they started rising the prominent. For me, it was Adam Morrison where I would continually see them just trying to contend and trying to scrap with these blue bloods and try to get them their name in those ranks. So for me, I always have a soft spot for Gonzaga. So for me, looking at the West here, one matchup I'm intrigued with, and this is more or less just because I really like how you can build momentum as one of these playing games, whether it's a 16 seed, 12 seed, like so, like that is on with Indiana and Wyoming, or the Rutgers-Notre Dame matchup. Notre Dame did not do a great job of impressing me in the ACC tournament, but I do feel like the winner of that game can build up some pretty good momentum going to Alabama. So that's a game I'm de- I have on my radar as one that could be a potential upset for Alabama. Alabama, who just kind of performed below what they were hoping to get in the SEC tournament, especially coming off last season where they were the SEC champ. I just, a lot of times those 11 seeds can come out. Syracuse, a very great example from last season where they came off that victory and just rolled through a few games and were able to make their way into a deep run into the tournament. So that's one matchup I'm looking at in the West that could be a potential upset. Alabama does look good. So I feel like if Notre Dame can be clicking like they were earlier in the season, that could be a game that goes in their favor. I like them over Rutgers, but Rutgers has definitely looked really good. And like you said, Big Ten was a juggernaut. They're beating each other up along the stretch, not only in the conference tournament, but the last four or five games of the season. And Rutgers got hot at the end of the year. Four of their last five games, they won all against Big Ten uh, ranked teams. Um, Ohio State being one, Iowa, and I believe Wisconsin was one of the other ones. They have NBA talent with Ron Harper Jr. Unquestionably, he is an NBA type player. He can carry that team as he had done uh, at times this year. And they they did kind of find an identity there at the end of the year. They were a a very tough defensive physical team. And that's kind of how the NCAA tournament goes. Like the offense kind of comes down and the games slow down a little bit. They become more of a half court possession type game. So if they could actually get into the tournament and win their play in game, they're a team that can be dangerous because it kind of fits the way the NCAA tournament is officiated and the kind of the way that it's kind of played those playing games just help build up that momentum or confidence going into it to where they're not afraid to show who they are and they have a better game plan I feel like than some of the teams they come up against who are scrambling to get used to their play style moving on in the east quite honestly that one was hard for me to get like something that I would consider a major upset going on there Virginia Tech has a lot of momentum when the ACC so I'm I mean, you always look at them to be a possibility against Texas, who they were okay. I don't know. Texas just has those lapses in their games. They'll contend with tough teams, but overall, they just, I don't know. They just didn't strike me as a team that that would be a big contender to make the Elite Eight, let alone the Sweet 16. They just 
seem very up and down and they can just get in those very cold streaks very quickly, especially looking at their points per game and what they allow for. They don't allow very many points per game, but just scoring very low, which in March Madness, if you have great defense, that's going to get you a long way. UCLA is a prime example of that from last season. Uh, What are you seeing with Texas going into this tournament run? Well, Virginia Tech has actually played pretty well recently. So I wouldn't say that the Big 12 was necessarily fantastic this year. It was extremely top-heavy with Baylor and Kansas. Texas Tech was an all-right team. That 6-11 game is so tough because you're normally talking about two major power. You know, it's not major powers necessarily, but, you know, power five conference teams. And Virginia Tech and the ACC, it's really difficult to say, was Virginia Tech worthy of an 11 seed or were they actually underrated because of playing in an ACC this year and having such a difficult schedule because their their strength of schedule actually was pretty good, which is probably the reason why they got in the tournament to begin with. That game to me was probably one of the second or third hardest ones for me to pick outside of Akron and UCLA. And I know UCLA is coming off a final four berth. They've been hot and cold this year. They, they got hot last year, made a great run in the tournament. Johnny Juzang, you know, he looked like a lottery pick at the end of last year. This year, he hasn't had that same success necessarily. And Akron has played really, really well. I mean, for the MAC team to come out there, and I know they're just a 13 seed, but I have seen them play. They have some athletes. So while I don't necessarily wouldn't pick them a majority of the time. Akron has a shot to beat UCLA. And that's how it felt for a lot of UCLA games last tournament run. Let's say this one will translate the same way, but a lot of UCLA games last season was just these teams are right in it. It's just that staggering defense down the stretch. They would just shut teams down for long stretches and teams would have to try to maneuver their way through. And only one team ultimately ended up doing that to stop them from getting to the final game. So we'll see if they can continue that. Yeah. And, and the the other game, for, the other team in that bracket that is really interesting to me is Purdue. And I am a Big Ten homer, obviously, but you have to have an A plus, what we call a dog player out there, a guy that you can just give the ball and say, go get me some buckets. And Jay Nivey, I mean, he was up for player of the year. And if there is a guy in the Big Ten that can carry a team to a Final Four, Jaden Ivey is going to be that guy. And and it's nothing against Keegan Murray. I do. I love Keegan Murray from Iowa. But I really do think that Jaden Ivey is the player that can be the Johnny Juzang from last year that would just go out there and score and, and can just put you on his back and carry you at pretty far in a tournament he definitely gave his best effort to do that when the big 10 tournament championship was going on watching him he was trying to go 100 miles per hour when he was on the floor to do everything he could the club purdue in and was trying to get him ahead but ultimately fell short of that but perhaps saving it for a big tournament run speaking of big 10 favoritism i wanted to look at the south region i wanted to get your thoughts on michigan seed and where do you think they're going to go or how far do you think they're going to go in this tournament? Obviously, you know, I'm a big Michigan fan and it was difficult for me to pick them because Colorado state is a bad matchup for them. And it's not a bad matchup in that they're a team that is necessarily hyper athletic, 
But what they do is they maximize what they have on the floor. They're going to play small ball against Michigan. They're going to spread them out. They're going to make Hunter Dickinson, Musa Diabate, they're going to make them play away from the basket. And consistently this year, Michigan struggled with smaller lineups. Iowa just ran them up and down the floor that last week of the regular season to a tune of 93 points in that game. And they had no answer when they got spread out on the floor. And and Michigan's defense wasn't great even on a good day, but a team that is one that is quick, that can spread you out and, and create driving lanes, It's not a great matchup for Michigan. And if they lose that game, it's not going to surprise me in any way. It also wouldn't surprise me if Michigan figures it out and gets to an elite eight. And it's kind of going to be boom or bust for them. The Tennessee game, if they can beat Colorado state, it's one that actually is more of a style. They're going to play. Tennessee is going to get it up and down on the floor and it's going to be who shoots the best. Now, Again, Michigan, one game can shoot lights out. You can get Eli Brooks. You can get Caleb Houston out there, and you know they, they can shoot 40 45% from three as a team. And then you have other games that they were 15 20%, and those mostly they took L's on. So they scare me. I, I, I like the makeup of the team. They have really two lottery picks, I believe, with, with Hunter and Musa this year but their consistency wasn't great. And I think a lot of that can be said with the NCAA men's side in general. It just felt like you would have these teams going these hot streaks. And then what was it? Three, four weeks ago, you had six of the top seven all lose within that week. There just didn't seem to be that consistently dominant team. Everyone would have those hot streaks and cold streaks. Last year you had Baylor and Gonzaga, Granted, it was a COVID-type schedule, so they didn't play a lot of opponents too far outside of their area. But still, like those two teams felt like they just had a lot of solutions to everyone's wrinkles. Where the Big Ten was a conference I kept watching, and it just looked like down the stretch, Michigan was looking good. I thought they might have a good run in the Big Ten tournament, but then Indiana just had the right game that day. Where Ohio State stumbling, and you and I were messaging back and forth, and I was like, I don't know that Ohio State really deserves it. I know they will get in because of the whole conference they're in and the schedule they played throughout it. It's just the up and down. It hurts the little guys because they don't get noticed as much, I feel like, when all the other teams are bunched up together. Yeah, and and Gonzaga is probably the team for the last several years that has had the most consistency, you know, week in and week out of the course of the season. But there's always that question mark, you know, with the conference they play in they were going months at a time without playing even a ranked team. I mean, St. Mary's was the only other ranked team in their conference. So you're playing for months at a time where I I believe they played 15 quad four teams. When you look at the net rankings and nobody else played near that many teams that were at the bottom of college basketball. So you may, I mean, that consistency is nice to see, but in fairness to all these other teams playing in, you know, the, the, big power five conferences, they weren't playing juggernauts night in and night out. I mean, you, you could have an off game if you're Gonzaga. And when you're playing, you know, some of the teams that they were, they're still winning by 20 points because the competition level just wasn't there. And that's kind of always the thing with Gonzaga is if they get into a 
street fight in the NCAA tournament, and they will get into a street fight at some point. Do they have that moxie and do they have that wherewithal to withstand that and, and to beat a good team? Because you see that, that sometimes a team that has not got that battle testedness in them, that first time when they face it, they kind of collapse under their own weight. Right. And I would say a prime example of that is when they played Baylor in the championship game last season. Last season when Gonzaga took them on in the championship game, it just seemed like they didn't really come up with any solutions or they couldn't adjust very well. I think they were outmatched in the ultimately with the Baylor game, but it just showed their lack of being battle tested, like you said, to make those in-game adjustments or be used to making those in-game adjustments. They're used to being all the in metaphoric sense put their head down and just charge for the hoop when you go against these quad four type teams you go from that to where you're going in the march madness where every single game at a certain point becomes a dog fight are you going to be able to step up to that or are you going to will under the pressure where we're going to go with this now mark is i i want you to try to give us what your early final four as of right now who do you feel like are your final four for this 2022 men's tournament coming out of the west region this is what i struggled with because i really do think it's going to come down to gonzaga duke to get into that final four spot they've already played once this year a fantastic game that they played out in vegas i think teams weren't necessarily ready for paulo banchero and how good he is especially with the ball in his hand so I, I kind of waffled back and forth between those two. I, I'm sticking with my pick that I think in a match rematch that Duke will beat them again. I think Duke has gotten better over the course of the year. I think that their size on the outside is a problem because with Manchero really playing that point forward, and I think most people agree that he's either the first or second pick in the draft. So he's that guy. You know, when you're looking for that a dog out there to when you need a basket in a close game i trust that paulo is going to be able to go out there and get that and i don't necessarily believe that gonzaga i mean i like kispert i like holmgren but am i putting them one-on-one -on -one out there with you know a minute to go on the game and a, and a one possession game i have to go with duke in that in that region east region i didn't have near as hard a time I still like Baylor. I mean, I've always kind of went with if you're the champion until you get knocked off that pedestal, you're still the champion. And I know they're not the same team as last year. They don't have quite that offensive explosion they did last year. The region is tough. I mean, Purdue was a team that I really liked that I thought could could make a really good run into that tournament. Kentucky has been hot and cold this year, but I do think that experience is valuable when you get into March Madness. And they're the only team really in that bracket that's made a deep run outside of UCLA. But I just don't think UCLA is as talented as they were last year. So I'm still going to go with Baylor to go to the Final Four out of that group. Uh, the South region, th this one was a pretty easy one for me. I liked Arizona. I've liked them all year. They've got NBA talent. They've got a lot of size. They create a lot of mismatches for teams. So that one, I really do think Arizona comes out of that one. And the, the Midwest region, Kansas to me has gotten better all year. 
I still like Auburn though. And I know a lot of people like, you know, I think Auburn's overrated. You know, they, they play that up and dial up and down style of offense and, you know, they create some turnovers, but they Kansas to me played in a little bit weaker top to bottom conference uh, than, than Auburn did. I think the sec was a little bit deeper, even though maybe the tournament resume of the conference doesn't show it. And Auburn was consistent majority of the year. They did have some struggles at the end, but I did go with Auburn in my initial bracket to come out of that region and go to the final four. So who ends up being in the national championship and who is your winner? Cinderella. I, I'm going with the Cinderella story. I think coach K goes out on the top of the mountain. I, I really, for some reason, I, I don't necessarily believe in fairy tales, but I do believe that there's just something extra for that team. And I, I do think that being coach K's last year and that team having some NBA talent on there with the right games and the right draw that they got, I can see Duke winning it all. Very nice. That would definitely be a, for many, a good send off for a coach that has been nothing short of legendary for the sport and good way to go into retirement if that's to be the case. So I want to thank you, Mark, for joining us tonight and give us lots of insights, lots of things to think about in the March Madness. And for those that are waffling on picks, maybe you helped shirt up a few things. Maybe you added more questions to their brackets, but it's all fun, folks. So enjoy it. Get out there, fill out a bracket. We have the sports forecasters bracket challenge through the ESPN tournament challenge. Um, you can find that through our page, through a post we just put up. Uh, thank you again, Mark, for joining us. We appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on, Nick. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. There isn't much I disagree with what Mark was saying, but there are probably slight differences in everyone's bracket. Mine is no different. When looking at the bracket, I really try to think about the trends, like the four versus 13, where at least one of the 13s wins the matchup a year. So you want to make sure you have you have that in the back of your mind when you're picking these this season or i'm putting myself in that boat where if chalk doesn't prevail i'm looking like i'll be on the outside looking in because of how my picks formulated for my final four my final four has three number ones and a number two may not be the fun or most dramatic thing but these are the teams i feel like have the best momentum coming in and have the tools with them to overcome the variety of matchups they'll see coming in. My team coming in from the West region would be Gonzaga. Gonzaga, like I mentioned, is a team I have a soft spot for, a team I, I root for when it gets to this point of the season, and I hope they do well. Out of the East, I have Kentucky. Baylor's injury and the players that have changed from their roster from last season to this, I think that's the opening Kentucky needs to squeak through and make their way out of the East. So I have Kentucky as my second team of the final four they're my representative out of the east out of the south arizona like i mentioned before had me sweating bullets with the end of that pac-12 tournament but you're coming in this tournament with a lot of momentum hopefully a lot of poise and a lot of focus and i have them coming out of the south out of the midwest i have kansas making it again not the most compelling final four but the ones i feel the most strongly about gonzaga kentucky arizona kansas with gonzaga and arizona meeting the championship game in the championship game, I think Gonzaga 
finally gets the monkey off their back and they win the national championship. I have the score at 74-68. Let's see how that looks. But if you th- have a different feeling on how the bracket's going, again, join our ESPN bracket challenge under the Sports Forecasters. You can find that on our Facebook page. Go ahead and join and see how you match up. You can win yourself a chance to give us your thoughts and insights on the March Madness tournament and let us know what your secret recipe was to win this bracket and perhaps give us more insight on how we can be more successful in the future. To wrap up this episode here, I wanted to talk about a sport that a sport Nathan and I never hit on, quite frankly, because it was one Nathan didn't have interest in. And for me personally, I don't have any current interest in the what's going on in it now. I've grown out of it. It's something I moved on for, but I still have nostalgia for. And that is sports entertainment, pro wrestling. As a kid of the 90s, pro wrestling was the biggest thing because of those Monday Night Wars. It was something that was gripping and captivating for kids my age. Video games showcased them well and made it an awesome time to be around friends. You would have lots of emotion and everything like that with the video games, playing with friends. But also every Tuesday, everyone would be talking about what happened on this and that and everything like that. And the reason I bring it up is, unfortunately, one of those pioneers, one of those individuals who really made wrestling a must-see or you wanted to at least be in the know of what was going on in the 90s, has passed away. Scott Hall passed away this early this week, and I just wanted to give a moment of just expressing how impactful he was to my beginnings of getting into sports. I understand wrestling is is more of a theater, but they were that was the first taste I had into getting captivated by something that was more than just a show. There was a result, and I cared about what the result was. He was the bad guy, so I didn't want the bad guys to succeed. That was a far cry from what I was first exposed to through my father with 80s wrestling, where you had these superheroes and or superhero-type figures. Then you had the villains, and Scott Hall was one of those guys that turned one of my superheroes into a, a bad guy in my eyes at the time, and I just remember being so mad about it but looking back it was just great character work he just did a fantastic job of character work and i just wanted to take a moment to just kind of recognize the life and career of scott hall and the impact it had on me i don't watch wrestling now but he was definitely someone that was a talked about person with our gym class talks on tuesday amongst my friends and everything like that and so he always has place in my nostalgia and so obviously you express your sympathies and condolences to those that were closest to him and have the memories to him hopefully they can hold on to them and just carry on his memory in a positive way not the way we usually end our episode but that's where we're going to wrap it up again be sure to join the bracket challenge we'd love to see you be a part of it my final four is gonzaga kentucky arizona and kansas with Gonzaga and Arizona being there in the national championship and Gonzaga finally winning it all. You've been listening to Sports Forecasters. I'd like to thank our guest, Mark Hurd. I'm Nick Alvarez. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.